You must remember that when the Constitution was written, that women were regarded as property. The struggle for an Equal Rights Amendment traces back to 1923 when feminist Alice Paul wrote the words that became ERA. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So as we march today, remember, forward together, backward never. If you could change one thing about the Constitution, what would it be? I would add an Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. Today, the House of Representatives cleared a hurdle to make the Equal Rights Amendment the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. The House voted to remove a deadline for states to ratify the amendment, which would guarantee women the same legal rights as men. I'm Kate Kelly, human rights attorney, feminist, and advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment, and this is Ordinary Equality. It's been a while. So much has happened since our season one finale, it's really hard to even know where to start. Even through the pandemic, the fight for the ERA has never stopped. So what has happened since we said goodbye for now in April? Well, we'll get you the latest updates on the ERA soon. But today I'm here to let you know we're ready to tell you another story, one that's just as crucial and topical as the one we told you in season one. Before I tell you what the story is, let me introduce you to my new co-host, who I'll be telling the story with. You'll remember her from her brilliant insights on season one, Jamia Wilson. Hello, I am so thrilled to be with you and your brilliant insights. I am an activist, an author, and an editor, and also a fierce champion of reproductive justice. I believe that Jamia and I met for the first time in person at an ERA coalition event. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> you were fabulously dressed, and you had me at hello with your fabulous glasses. <laughs> and you also had fabulous glasses, as you always do. And the other thing that I remember is we I was like, another young person. <laughs> <laughs> At a lot of ERA events, sometimes I'm the youngest person in the room. So I was like, yay, under 40. <laughs> yes. And I think it's exciting to me now when I see high schoolers talk about the ERA because I think, oh oh, yes, this is what's needed immediately. I love it. And another thing that we immediately connected on is religion. I remember you knew a lot of Mormons growing up in Saudi Arabia, ironically. Yes. Many, many Mormons, teachers, neighbors, and friends. So Jamia was growing up abroad, meeting meeting Mormons in all parts of the world, and is also a person of faith. So I think we come from this very similar background of traditional religious upbringing and sort of graduating or evolving to radical politics in all its many forms and feminism. Yes. And I feel like the two are a really, really good mix. You know, I think that you can get some really fierce, committed feminists from people who are people of faith and also people who've been raised in circumstances or places where maybe those beliefs aren't shared by the people around you. I mean, no one knows how patriarchy operates better than we do. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about season two. 
there's so much going on and every day feels like drinking from a news fire hose. But in spite of everything, or perhaps because of everything, we've been hearing from a lot of people who want to know the latest on the ERA. So there's a lot of misinformation going around that commonly circulates. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and we talked about this in season one, uh, Trump's administration essentially issued a memo saying that the ERA wasn't valid and that the original deadline was. And so a lot of people kind of thought, oh, wait, does that mean it's dead? But there are two reasons that's not the case. One uh, is the court case that we talked about in season one um, by the attorneys general of Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia. So those attorneys general of the most recently ratified states got together and decided to sue. uh, And they are in court right now taking the National Archivist to task and asking that a federal court order him to certify the amendment and also arguing that the 28th Amendment, as they call it, already exists. So there's a group of people who are already saying it already exists. It's in the Constitution. The end. All we have to do is certify it and recognize it as part of the Constitution. Um, And then there's also some pending legislation in Congress. Jimmy and I were really excited that this spring in the House, they passed a deadline elimination bill. So they passed a bill to eliminate that original deadline, that kind of last hurdle that was keeping the Equal Rights Amendment from getting into the Constitution. But like most legislation and everything else in uh, Congress this year, it's still stuck in the Senate. So that's kind of where that's at. But that does not mean that it's dead. Another thing that I'm really excited about moving forward, and I know we're all really anxious about the election, (laughs) is that Biden, Joe Biden's pick for his vice presidential slot is Kamala Harris. And she was the first person to talk about the ERA on the campaign trail. She was the only person running in the original slot that really proactively talked about the Equal Rights Amendment and the need to get it ratified. So I think her influence and a lot of this other momentum that's been building up. um, So Joe Biden specifically and explicitly put it on his women's platform. um, And it, it, it specifically talks about how we need to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. So that's kind of where we're at. It's not yet part of the Constitution, but it will be soon. <laughs> and I love I love that you're making that connection with Kamala and the platform, because I think it also really does also prove those people wrong who say that representation doesn't have any sort of systemic import, because it very much does. Kamala is bringing her full identity and experience to this role in addition to her expertise and her legal expertise. So I'm just feeling this thrilled experience knowing that a really successful attorney also knows what's at stake as it relates to constitutional equality in a deeper way than their opponent, Trump, who has no legal experience except on the bad side of it. So I'm, yes. I'm excited. Being sued <laughs> and in bankruptcy court. <laughs> exactly. So I, I was just thinking about that too. No, having people who actually know beyond what it means to how a bill becomes a law, but also you know, know the impact of every bit of legal work that they're doing and every bit of policy as it relates to constitutional equality for all people. But another sad thing happened, another really tragic event that we need to address that will impact the future of this country that 
it's really relevant to the conversation of the importance of having women's leadership at the highest levels in our country is the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, otherwise known as the notorious RBG. I was in D.C. on the day that they brought her casket to the Supreme Court, and I just happened to be walking by right as they, uh, as the hearse pulled up, and it was such an impactful moment and a moment of finality and a moment to kind of, for me, reflect on her history. Of course, you know, my favorite thing about her is she was a lifetime supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, She wrote about it in her early career. Uh, She wrote an uh, article for the American Bar Association in support of passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. She testified in Congress in favor of the deadline extension in uh, 1978. pretty much to her dying day, said that we need an equal rights amendment when she was asked, you know, what can we add to the Constitution or what should we add to the Constitution? She consistently said uh, that we need to add an equal rights amendment. Um, She also made an unfortunate comment. (laughs) At one point, she said that she thought, and this is more of a strategy question, Uh, She said that while we need an equal rights amendment, that it should be part of the Constitution, that she thought we should start over, which equal rights amendment advocates were like, no, Ruth, no. (laughs) But I think it's important to remember that, you know, that that was a strategy question. She was a jurist uh, her whole career, and she was never really part of the fight to get the equal rights amendment ratified on the ground. Uh, she was more an academic and a litigator at the the appellate level. Um, so, you know, I just like to think maybe she didn't really know <laughs> what it takes to get these things ratified in states uh, that are more difficult, uh, like my home state of Utah. So the thing that I like to focus is on she never really gave up, that she never said we didn't need it. She never said, you know, she was consistent towards the end. And so I think it's complex when we think about her legacy. But the thing I like to keep in mind is that she was she was consistent till the end. When we talk about that consistency, or I think there are events that happen in our present day politics that also can bring back people's awareness and bring back people's commitment to the ERA fight. I've seen that what we were just talking about in that phenomenon play itself out with other folks. I know some attorneys and others who were close to policy conversations in the 2016, pre-2016 election arena, who shared that same viewpoint or shared a viewpoint that we should focus less on the ERA specifically and more on enacting laws that carry out the purpose of the ERA on a state-by-state level, etc. And I believe that most of those people now have returned to the idea that we need to focus on constitutional equality because they've seen just how dire things are and how little time we have to start writing the course of present day and history because of what we're facing right now as it relates to dun 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 RBG's replacement on the Supreme Court. Yeah, I think so as you're listening to this, the uh, confirmation process of Trump's proposed nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, is taking place. And I think one thing for me that this really highlights is that everything in Congress is bound by rules. 
So according to the Constitution, the Senate uh, is in charge of the Supreme Court nomination and confirmation process. And and so we can't really change those rules. Um, the only way that we can change the Constitution is to go through the amendment process. Um, so it's set. You know, the process is set. And, and right now, Republicans control the Senate. And so we can't always keep certain misogynistic people off of the court, whether they be men or women or people of any gender. And so it's ironic because Amy Coney Barrett is what they call an originalist, which means she would interpret the Constitution exactly the way that the men who wrote it would have. Um, If you think back to episode one of Ordinary Equality in season one, uh, we talked about why those men who wrote the Constitution did not have our best interests in mind. <laughs> but that's the way that she would interpret it. Only what would they would have said, only what they would have thought, only the, the concessions that they would have given. Um, but sort of, I, you know, I think the, the only trick we have, um, or the only ace of our sleeve, is that those men wrote Article 5 of the Constitution. Um, and Article 5 says that we can change it, we can amend it. So they left us sort of like an escape hatch. Um, And even Amy Coney Barrett or her predecessors, who were so-called originalists, would have to admit that those men who wrote the Constitution gave us an opportunity to change it. Uh, And so that's why when she says originalism, you know, they kind of begrudgingly accept the amendments that have been properly ratified because that is essentially an originalist idea. So that's kind of what I hang my hat on. (laughs) I guess, is that we can't always control who's on the Supreme Court, but we can control the document that they are charged with interpreting. So we can change the Constitution. It's kind of what you're saying, Jamia, that a lot of folks are like, oh, let's just pass laws. Um, And now they're realizing, wait, 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 we have to go back. We have to have this baseline equality. If we don't get that, then all the work that we're doing can be in vain, depending on who's in the White House and who is in control of Congress. So I really like that framing that a lot of people are kind of coming around to this idea once again. Maybe we won't be the only young people at every ERA meeting anymore. This is this is the exciting part. A lot of new folks are finding out about it. I, I just wanted to add that I was thinking about the revelation for some of us, others who are legal scholars knew this, that... Barrett had actually said in one of her rulings that the N-word is an egregious racial epithet. That said, the plaintiff in her case, in the case that she was ruling on, she said couldn't win by saying that the N-word shouldn't be used in their work environment by proving that the word was uttered. She wrote that a person must demonstrate that the use of the word altered the conditions of a working environment and created it to be hostile or abusive. So when I think too about what is at stake as it relates to abortion, I think about what is at stake when it relates to all other reproductive justice decisions involving race that will also be faced by this court as it relates to the Hyde Amendment and other landmark legislation and her rulings around this and her very problematic views about racial justice and gender justice. And I think as we talked about in the first season, the way that the Constitution was originally written and the the people by by whom the Constitution was originally written and her views by her own admission mirror those. 
So these are people who were slaveholders, um, slave owners. Uh, many of them participated in the slave breeding trade, as we talked about in season one. And so all of this is at the comes to head at the very, really founding of our country. And that's why her commitment to this originalist thinking and 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 the way that she interprets law is so troubling. Because when they say they want to make America great again, that really means go back to that time and go back to the thinking of that time and the thinking that those men had. When you think about the fear that everyone has in her nomination and her, you know, her potential appointment to the Supreme Court is basically surrounding her, her or one of the most salient points of many is that she is on record as calling the legacy of Roe versus Wade barbaric. Um, she is blatantly anti-choice and has been for a long time. She was very openly and vocally anti-choice at her university. Uh, she's part of a very small, speaking of religion, she's part of a very small and extremist Catholic cult that is, is very, very invested in traditional gender roles. Um, and all of this has to do with the, the fundamental right of abortion. And, and that, my friends, is the topic of season two. Abortion was established as a constitutional right in 1973 with a Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade. But RBG's death leaves an open slot on the court. Congressional conservatives have vowed to confirm a judge who is committed to overturning Roe. Just let that sink in. So all eyes are going to be on the fight. You might be thinking to yourself, dear listener, what does this have to do with the rights amendment? I think one of the most, as you'll remember from season one, one of the things that the opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment calls it is the everything related to abortion amendment. So they're very dedicated to constantly bringing up abortion, uh, talking about how the ERA is related to abortion, um, and it sort, of, it sort of spooks people in the movement occasionally because they don't, it, it's such a, a polarizing issue. And it's become this really poison pill in modern politics. And so one of the things that's keeping us from getting constitutional equality and changing this document that Amy Coney Barrett is potentially going to be charged with interpreting for our country is the abortion issue. And so I think this is another intersection of our interests, Jamia. <laughs> yes. we. So we both are very interested in this issue. And a big part of it has to do with our origin story as people who were activists in the reproductive justice movement, but also cut our teeth at Planned Parenthood and our alumni of Planned Parenthood uh, and working in that organization who makes reproductive health care accessible comprehensively and medically accurately for so many people and yet is so often politicized and demonized um, for being just about as American as apple pie, as I like to say, in terms of providing the healthcare services that people need uh, despite cost and access. And yet Planned Parenthood is always under fire and Planned Parenthood is always placed in the position of being in a defensive stance for simply wanting to respect the idea that reproductive rights are human rights. 
Yeah. And I think it's funny that two conservative religious girls ended up working at Planned Parenthood (laughs) in the early days. You know, I went from fighting the Mormon church to fighting for women's reproductive rights. uh, And you'd be uh, surprised how similar those fights are, because really what we're fighting is patriarchy in all its myriad and insidious forms. And so when I was working in Utah uh, as a lobbyist for Planned Parenthood at the legislature, I saw almost identical tactics used by the people, mostly men, who wanted to pass laws to eliminate abortion access altogether. And that's happening in a lot of places now. Uh, Many states only have one abortion clinic left, and that is limited access to people who live nearby, people who have the resources, like you said, the, the issues that reproductive justice and the framework that was created by the folks who created reproductive justice are concerned about, you know, not only is it legal, but who can have access to it. And so I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground, but I think for me, it always comes back to these core issues. I really want to know what's at the fundamental level. Um, So for me, that's constitutional equality. That's the baseline. Um, And it always comes back to reproductive choice because, you know, why why is it always abortion? Why do they always turn back to that? Why is it so fundamental to our politics? Why is the left so scared of it? <laughs> Even the ERA movement, you know, why do people not want to talk about this and take it head on? Um, so that's what we're going to be doing in this season. We're kind of looking back and going back in history in order to move forward. How did we get to the place where we're hoping for just one person, Justice Ginsburg, to stay alive in order to keep our fundamental rights And how do we move on from here? Where do we go? So that's kind of what you can expect from season two. We're going to be talking about the history of abortion in America. Uh, We're going to be talking about the transformation of abortion into a religious issue. It wasn't always. We're going to be talking about strategy moving forward. How do we combat this almost impenetrable power, it seems, at times that the anti-choice movement has? And then we're going to profile a lot of really incredible people doing work on the ground to keep our rights intact and keep our access to abortion health care, which it is health care, keep it, keep it real and keep it meaningful and, and making it a part of our access to human rights. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take on the abortion issue. We're going to be back early 2021 for season two of Ordinary Equality wherever you get your podcast. Until then, don't forget to vote, vote, vote. 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 Vote, everyone. Vote early <laughs> if you can. Democracy depends on all of us. Our lives are at stake. <laughs>